on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 18th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016, we talk international rules football with the GM of the V-Swans, Nicole Graves. We take a look at this weekend's AFL Euro Cup with Scottish Sirens player Zoe Rowe and we preview next week's USAFL Nationals in Florida with USAFL Media Manager Brian Barrish. All that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Peter Holden and welcome to the 18th episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2016 our 52nd podcast overall and the grand finals may have come and gone in Australia but we're not stopping because there's plenty to get through obviously this weekend with the AFL Euro Cup, uh, the USAFL Nationals coming up in mid-October and in the middle of the week, Wednesday the 12th of October, the historic day the AFL Women's Draft where about 160 females are going to get drafted going to the eight AFL clubs that have got a women's side for 2017. A very exciting day. And it ain't over after that. Remember, there is a free agency period up until the end of the month. So each club can still pick three more players each. An exciting time in women's football. But before we look to the future, let's take an opportunity to look at the past. This month, 10 years ago, a group of Aussie women went across to Ireland to partake in the only ever Women's International Rules Series Tour of Ireland. Of course, for those who are unfamiliar with the concept, International Rules Football is a combination of Aussie rules and Gaelic football. It's using the round ball. Uh, there's obviously behind posts, goal posts, over and under. So you've got 1.3.6 points in the men's game, which we're all familiar with when the AFL men take on the uh, Gaelic football men from Ireland, uh, it's normally tackling involved. There isn't in the women's game, at least in the 2006 tour. And to explain it all, a woman who's currently general manager of the V Swans in WA, but she was working for AFL Victoria back then and helped create this tour, this concept, the one and only tour back in 2006. It's great to have on the line Nicole Graves. Nicole, how did this international rules tour of Ireland come about? At the time, Pete, I was working for AFL in the female space. Um, so, yeah, so pretty much, um, you know, was, we sort of started that pathway. We started the youth girls and the primary school girls comps. And so I guess the final pathway at that particular time was, you know, to have an international game. Now, I played over in Ireland Gaelic football for a couple of tours. So I knew, um, you know, the GAA, the Irish GAA over there, and we'd spoken about it. And so, yeah, sort of set up a tour. So... Yeah, TG Kaha, um, which is the Irish or the Gaelic uh, TV station over there, um, you know, they had it, were going to broadcast it live. And so we started the old fundraising and off we went. It's extraordinary now. There's quite a number of players that are still playing today, uh, women's football, that will be part of the National League that toured in that game. But before we touch on those particular players, you said it was televised. This is extraordinary. This is something like nine years before the first women's AFL match was televised. Yeah, no, it was, as I said, it was really exciting. I, you know, unfortunately, the results weren't quite as exciting as uh, as what was going on. But, you know, we start everything somewhere and it has to be started somewhere. So, yeah, so listen, yeah, it was brilliant. And that was, uh, you know, ironically, it was you know, telecast, which is pay, one of the pay TV things over there. And uh, unfortunately, it was um, all commentated in Gaelic. So all the Aussies that sat up to watch it, 
all the Aussies that sat up to watch it, uh, even though they can watch the game, they were listening to it in Gaelic, so it was pretty amusing as well. And one thing that's extraordinary on top of the t- television coverage of that match is, I believe for, for women's Gaelic football, I read online that they could drop the crowd to 25,000, and that's jaw-dropping considering that we claim it's a big crowd of five or 6,000 come and watch a women's match here in Australia. Oh, absolutely. And over in Ireland, it's, you know, they're, they're, they are household names. You know, their grand finals are at Croke Park, which is obviously the MCG over there. Sorry for the noise. I'm standing in the car park. Um, you know, and their grand finals, I've been to a ladies' grand final over there with 50,000 people, you know, all coming to watch and all paying to, you know, full tilt. It's not a pre-match. It was it. You know, that was the game, you know, paying to, to play, uh, uh, to watch, you know, women play Gaelic football, so it's fairly phenomenal. It's certainly, um, you know, mind-blowing, and hopefully we may see that in women's Aussie rules. But focusing back to 2006, as you said, you were invited over. Um, how, how difficult was it to try and pull the side together? Because, remember, we're not talking about a national women's AFL competition back then. You're all playing your own state league. So how was it uh, to try and pick players or find the best of the best from around the country to pull them together to play this hybrid game? Yeah, it was interesting. So, obviously, we had the Nationals in 2005. We picked an All-Australian team, and out of those All-Australians, they were all invited to a trial, um, which we also invited probably the top 20 Gaelic players um, as well. So, obviously, knowing... um, Unfortunately, the uh, international rules for the women doesn't have tackling in it, so it was was pretty tough kick to stop them, so it was just a glorified Gaelic game, I think. So, yeah, so we sort of did that. We had trial days. Um, We obviously included a lot of the Australian Gaelic players that had toured Ireland the year before, who were, you know, just elite at that particular game. So, yeah, so that's sort of how it all started. We went, got down to our, you know, to our 25 and our team managers, and they said the AFL supplied all the uniforms, but, you know, and the girls, you know, um, fundraised. And in the end, we spent, I think, two and a half weeks in Ireland um, for about $1,200, which wasn't bad. So, yeah, they fundraised. We got some good sponsors and, and stuff like that. TG Kaha, obviously, um, uh, were televising. and also gave us 50 grand to get over there as well. So, you know, really fantastic, you know, in those early days, I guess. So, bit of an evolution to now, I must say. Who had the honour of coaching that first side? <laughs> yeah, I had the honour of coaching that first side. So, yeah, so at the time I'd been coaching the Victorian Gaelic football team and obviously very involved at, um, at Darabin, um, you know, as an assistant coach um, and president at Darabin there. So I guess it was sort of made a bit of sense that I was, you know, across both sports. So pretty much, um, yeah, so I co-coached with... Um, with a guy from Western Australia who I coached with in uh, Gaelic football. So we took the team over there. and Yeah, so it was brilliant. It was a great experience. As I said, the scores, score line was a bit average. Um, but, you know, playing in front of those crowds and TV, and, and as I said, you know, it'd be really wonderful to see our evolution of our athletes now. You know, I think we've evolved in 10 years. You know, our games evolved. You know, they literally, back then, you know, they, they were the ones that had 300,000 Irish people, uh, Irish girls playing Gaelic, and now that's us. So, you know, so I think, you know, the game has evolved considerably here now. I want to talk about some of the players that are still playing to this day, uh, women's Aussie rules football, and may all be uh, uh, drafted. Some already have been signed, uh, one or two obviously on the verge of. Uh, first of all, the player who's just won her seventh 
Victorian League best and fairest, Daisy Pierce, also the leading goal kicker, the century goal kicker, Moana Hope, both played in that 2006 side. They did, and they were both little babies, really. I think uh, mine might have been 17 and, and Daisy 18. So, or the other way around, but Daisy was definitely 18. They might have been just both 18. So, yeah, real um, evolution of that. And, you know, they were, they were still fantastic players there. But, um, yeah, no, it was it was fantastic to be involved with those young girls. And, and obviously I've been involved with those girls since they were young teenagers. Um, to take them away on their first tour and then obviously um, be watching what they're doing now is, you know, it's a real thrill from both myself but obviously footy in general too. Uh, also in the side, I spot uh, Lauren Tessariero, of course, who plays for the Eastern Devils. Her Eastern Devils teammate and, and Collingwood priority pick Meg Hutchins was selected in the team. And you can also throw in there uh, veterans like Sarah Hammond and Penny Kilda Reid. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, Hamo was um, one of the one of the leaders at that at that particular time. So she, yeah, she was fantastic there. And, and um, you know, uh, some of the others that, yeah, Hutchie was even a young person then, would you believe? And a forward, I think, I think at listening. that stage. <laughs> <laughs> true, she was. I think she'd won the, the Helen Lambert medal, I think, the year before in 2005. So as a, as a centre-half forward. So... Yeah, it's interesting how it all evolves. And as I said, I couldn't be more chuffed that some of those girls are getting the opportunity now. And I, I kind of hope that Hamo gets gets picked up. She's, uh, I reckon there's still a little bit of life in the old girl yet. <laughs> you've got to have the veteran. You've got to have the smarts in the side, as they say. You know, you can you can have all the skill and have the pace, but you've got to have the smarts. And she's got plenty well, of them. Right. And, yeah, and Hamo, you know, was an elite athlete, so she knows how to get herself right. Not, you know, there's some real opportunity. You know, not many 40-year-olds would be able to do that. But, you know, I have full faith that she'd be able to, you know, get involved and certainly support, you know, particularly some of these new newer teams and these young players coming up. So, yeah, it could be interesting 10 years on. Well, what's some of your memories back from 10 years ago that stand out, not from just playing on the pitch, but from that tour, being together, um, travelling uh, throughout Ireland? Um, oh, listen, you know, obviously, you know, getting on the bus and travelling right through Ireland and just seeing how massive female Gaelic football was over there, you know, in their grand finals. They have all the colours in all the windows of the shops and they're on the front page of the paper. And, you know, at that particular time, you know, we'd probably be lucky to get three lines in the, you know, in the sports section of results. So for us at that particular time, it's a little bit deja vu because what the girls are going through now with the media is what I guess you know Gaelic football you know ladies Gaelic football's had for probably two decades so you know so it's, it was really just sort of mind-blowing how big you know you know the female game was over there so that was probably one of the big ones you know traveling right you know, around Ireland to play Gaelic was pretty pretty good time too. Uh, next year, of course, we see uh, the, the debut season of the uh, AFL women's competition, which happens in February, March. Uh, later on the year in November, we know the men's international series is definitely scheduled, Australia versus Ireland in Australia. Do you hope that the uh, women's series will be reignited and possibly a double header? Well, listen, I think it'd be brilliant. And uh, many of those girls, I reckon, you know, Daisy and, and Mo and, and, you know, Hutchie would certainly, you know, agree that we probably weren't our very best in those days. But, you know, women's footy was about 40,000 strong, you know, not 300,000 strong. And, you know, we've just evolved as, as players, as athletes, and we certainly wouldn't let the Irish uh, not have 
the non-tackle in there this time. Uh, so we'll be a bit smarter about that. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I think we all agree that you know, our game has evolved so quickly that it'd be, you know, much more of a contest and we really give it a red-hot go. Let's uh, come forward to present day. Uh, currently, you're in Darwin with the V Swans. Can you tell us what program you've got uh, happening at the moment up in the Northern Territory? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've been running uh, a program called uh, S2S, or Strength to Succeed, for the last four or five years, and we always have our reward trips up in Darwin. We bring our boys up here from the northwest, from the Kilbury and the Kimberley, and play against the NT Thunder teams, and we have a couple of cross-programs there. And this year, we decided to leave the boys at home and bring the girls. So we actually run a, at Swans, we run a female SOS football program as well now. So, yeah, so we've, we've brought away, you know, 22 uh, girls under the age of 18, between 12 and 17. Um, you know, some of the some of them are elite and are all Australian state 18s and, and others have, you know, from our Pilbara regions have never kicked a footy. So, you know, so it's, um, you know, really exciting for them and us and to bring them all up here. And, you know, I'm really lucky. Um, being the GM of East Swans, the staff we have, um, you know, Cara Donnellan or Daddy works um, for Swans. So this is actually one of the programs she manages. So she's about to drive the bus away and I have to walk home by the looks of it. Um, so, yeah, so, and we've also brought um, Ebony um, Antonio and, and Taylor Angel, who are all Swans, Swans um, you know, um, senior players and, and obviously going to be a couple of Frio players there. Um, and I reckon Taylor might get a sniff. <laughs> we hope so. And just before we talk a little bit more about um, yeah. the program, just 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 a question on that. With uh, with of course Juddy and Ebony now being Fremantle players, do the, the girls through the V Swans program and the girls that get to meet them up in the territory, do they are they almost starstruck now that they're now speaking to Fremantle players because that's what they are, Juddy and Ebony. Yeah, well that's right. You know the nice thing is is um, you know we while we're here and we always take. You know, even when we brought the boys here, because obviously Chelsea Randlett worked for Ed, worked for V Swans, and Courtney Eagles worked for V Swans, Kelly Gibson worked for V Swans. So a lot of those girls, you know, we would bring up and get, come out and coach some of the women's teams while the boys were off playing their games. And, and now to bring a whole team, you know, we, where now the girls are playing, you know, Cara, who has been on TV, everyone knows who she is, you know, Ange Foley. Uh, we, we did some work with their team last night, so you know, all of a sudden you've got all these drafted and you know, um, priority pick players and stuff all together for the for the common good. So you know, to have those around, you know, fourteen, fifteen year olds that are you know on that pathway to motivate them to see how these girls prepare for the game um, and and get feedback and information that just they shaft and as I said we um, are flying we actually are on the ferry tomorrow to the Tiwi Islands for a couple of days and we'll play the the Tiwi girls over there so you know that's really great for our girls and a really good cultural experience half our group of young Aboriginal girls were around WA as well so yeah listen couldn't be more happy and you couldn't have better role models um, looking after these girls and as I said we're we're quite lucky um, at these ones we've got you know, premiership, ex-premiership players that um, and Sandover medalists that all work for us. So, yeah, these guys are, are working with these girls, you know, in a specific tools program while we're here in a, in a midfield program, the smalls program. So they're getting really good specific coaching from, you know, from people they just wouldn't 
get coaching from any other time. So, listen, I, you know, I've just, we just hope that it, it provides really good. It's really a leadership program, but to have these girls doing all these activities and, you know, be nice. It's nice getting out of Perth. It's been horrendous winter at Perth. So, yeah, so, you know, listen, we just want to make better young players and better young leaders. So, you know, perfect spot to come up here and surround them by... You know, by elite athletes and, and girls both in the Territory and um, from Perth that are already getting drafted, already living that dream. And, of course, for, for them uh, personally, for the likes of, you said, uh, Cara, Taylor, Ebony, them getting to experience uh, Tiwi Island football, which, of course, has produced uh, many, many great Indigenous names. Well, this is exactly right. As with our group being, um, you know, a lot of Noongar girls from, you know, from Perth and stuff. So for them to, you know, uh, experience different Aboriginal cultures as well, you know, get the get the boots off, uh, run around with the no shoes on and kick the footy. Um, so, yeah, so Rip, as I said, like young Emily Maguire and Madison Eugle are, are over here, both of those girls trainees with these swans, you know, so they're then leading the next generation of, you know, state 15s, you know, Hyde twins and stuff. So, yeah, listen, the whole thing is, you know, young leaders and with Juddy and, you know, Ebony only 24, you know, they're the, the leaders of then the 17-year-olds and then the leaders of the 14-year-olds who are then the leaders of our 12-year-olds. So, yeah, so we're really chuffed the experience they're all going to get. And we thank Nicole very much for her time in uh, discussing the International Rules Series back in 2006 and, of course, the current uh, V-Swans program that she's running at the moment who are doing their tour of uh, the Northern Territory. Some fantastic work, Nicole, and thank you again for your time. Now let's uh, go overseas. And uh, coming up this weekend, that is the weekend of the 8th and the 9th in uh, Portugal. Lisbon, to be exact, is the AFL Euro Cup. Now, you're thinking, didn't you hear something about a European Cup a couple of months ago? Yes, that was the 18-a-side tournament in London in August. The Euro Cup, which happens every year, is a a nine-a-side tournament, which is played virtually on a soccer-sized ground. It's a faster-paced game, and uh, it involves uh, more nations, seven to be exact. And one of the nations that will be uh, there includes Scotland. The Sirens, the Scottish Sirens. And I've got one of their players on the line to chat with us, Zoe Rowe. Zoe, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, how are you feeling? You excited heading into this 2016 Euro Cup? Yeah, it's um, it's, be, it's been funny. Everybody's sort of talking about going over there and everybody's super stoked to, to be going over and uh, representing Scotland. And obviously, um, we've been training really hard and, and, and getting everything sorted for going over. We just want to go over and play. And what has the Scottish Sirens program been like? Of course, uh, you fielded a team in the 2014 uh, Euro Cup. Uh, didn't last year, but you're back again for 2016. Yeah, we didn't field one um, last year just because basically we couldn't get time off work to uh, to go over. Um, so this year we decided to make a big drive for it. Uh, we, we have recently got a, a new coaching um, team so they've really helped us kind of get focused and, and work on some skills uh, ready for this this weekend. And what's the training program been like for the Scottish Sirens? Is it almost been like a dual training program where you're training for the Sirens, but you're also training for the Swans at the same time? Because nine of you obviously played with the GB Swans back in August in the European 18-a-side championships. Yeah, so um, we, we tried to train as often as possible. Um, our coach is based in Edinburgh. Um, so we tend to do a lot of training ourselves. She'll sort of tell us what we want to do, what she wants us to work on. 
um, and we'll go for that. Um, if we don't do that, we'll kind of do a lot of individual stuff. Um, because there is two teams in Scotland, um, some of us will work with you know uh, with the boys for, for both respective teams, which is good good experience playing against boys. Um, ready for playing against the girls, you, you give just as hard, if not harder. And of course, with this concept of nine-a-side football, which it is for the uh, Euro Cup, uh, do you have to look at your side to be a bit more nimble, a bit more quicker, almost like nine on-ballers rather than key position players like your tools that you'd have in an 18-a-side game? Yeah, it's very much... Um, when you talk to the girls that have played 18-a-side, um, they do complain a little bit because they don't realise how much running is involved. Um it's it's very much a, a quicker a quicker game. Um, I, I I I like it um, because you, you sort of you're always in amongst it. You're always involved in the game. Um, Eighteen aside, you can sometimes have periods where you know it's a little bit quieter. But uh, with nines, it's ongoing all the time, which is great. And as you spoke of about the two sides in Scotland being the Glasgow Sharks and the Greater Glasgow uh, Giants, um, how long have they been about as competing sides and how often are they able to play together? Um, so the Giants are a fairly new team. They've been going for two years. Um, and we, as the, the boys have managed to get into the, um, the grand final twice, unfortunately beaten on both occasions, um, but given... Um, a fabulous effort both times. The Sharks have been going for a lot longer. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how long they've been going for. Um, but I think it's around about sort of 2004, 2005 they sort of started. Um, we, we tend to have games against each other in the Haggis Cup, um, which is sort of our version of pre-season cup um, up here in Scotland. And it's open to sort of all teams uh, across the UK to come and, come and play. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a chance to just, for everybody to show off the skills. Um, show off what they've been working and just have a bit of banter, a bit of fun on the, on the field as well. And for you personally, um, how did you get involved in Aussie rules football? Um, I, I lived in Australia for two and a half years um, and unfortunately while I was there just with, with work and everything else, I never got a chance to play. Um, and when I moved back to the UK, I decided I was going to try and find a team that I could maybe join in. Um, and when I moved up to Scotland, I found a I started off in the Sharks um, and then migrated to the, 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 the Giants um, and, yeah, just love it. And for you personally, um, did the skills come to you naturally or did it take some time to be able to learn, obviously handling the odd-shaped ball, but the kicking and handballing, etc.? Uh, well, I used to play soccer years ago. Um, so because I used to play soccer, kicking the ball it wasn't too bad and catching it wasn't too bad. It was just a case of getting used to catching a different shape ball and, and you know obviously the ball drops differently and, and kicks so it was just a case of working through that but um, I bought a ball and, and basically just kicked against the wall or kicked to myself or just ran around the park myself um, just sort of improved my skills Looking ahead to your fixture uh, in Lisbon for this weekend, it's all happening on one day uh, for the women's across the three pitches. I guess the one thing you'll be pleased about, the first game that you're playing is against the side that uh, Scotland beat in the only tournament that you played, and that was France. Yeah, the, the, the French have quite a, a, a strong side this year, um, but obviously we have a strong side as well. Uh, we've got some different players from what we had in 2014. Um, we just hope that we can you know, repeat what we did in 2014 um, and, and beat them again. Um, but it is going to be a tough day. 
And again, the, the day does get tougher because after that, uh, you come up against uh, the Irish Banshees, who, of course, uh, we know won the International Cup 2014, 18 aside, uh, made the grand final. And, of course, the, uh, well, the, the England Vixens, who, of course, were champions last year. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun because obviously a lot of the girls that play for the Vixens played in the GB squad, so we do have we do know them quite well, and we do have that that rivalry with them. Um, so it'll be game faces on when we play, and then we'll have a couple of beers with them afterwards. And uh, also uh, taking part in the tournament, uh, Denmark, uh, Sweden, and uh, Croatia. Um, are you up for it? Is the body ready? Because how it's scheduled, you'll be playing at least a minimum of four games within the space of something like uh, seven or eight hours. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to train um, as much as possible, getting getting runs in, doing various different different things. Um, so as long as we all keep hydrated um, and and eat. We should be fine to, to, to fuel ourselves and, and keep ourselves going. Um, but yeah, I think I think on the day, because of what it is, we all just give everything, regardless of how many games we play, we just give everything for every game. Um, so, yeah. And Zoe, obviously for those that might be watching online, uh, who's some of the star players we should be watching for the Sirens? Standout players. We've got some, we've got some really good um, defensive players. Um, so we've got... Lou Smith, um, who will probably play in defence, um, she's really good. Um, and Ellie Sutherland, in probably in midfield, she likes to run. She's a good runner. Um, and up front, we've got lots of good kickers up front, so it's really difficult to kind of pick people out, um, sort of to name certain ones that that would uh, shine out more than others. And, of course, uh, after this uh, match, uh, the next major tournament uh, is going to be the um, 18-a-side uh, International Cup in 2017. Uh, Zoe, are you preparing to put your hand up to try out for the uh, GB Swans again and uh, fly over to Melbourne to, to take part in the tournament in August? Yeah, 100%. Um, since since the, um, the European Championships, kind of had a couple of weeks off just to sort of digest it all and, and take a bit of time out and just sort of recover. Um, obviously, it's been work, lots of work for, for this weekend um, and I'll continue to work towards getting selected for the uh, the International Cup because who doesn't want to go play in Australia? I mean, who doesn't want to go represent your country in Australia? It's been an amazing thing to do. So, yeah, super excited to hopefully get picked for that. And just quickly on that, uh, even though she was an Aussie, but she was playing in the UK in the London League, uh, uh, Kate Shearlaw, uh, what does it mean for someone that's actually played in a UK, uh, for the UK players, that someone that played in one of their competitions uh, has been drafted to the uh, AFL women's competition? Yeah, it's amazing to, um, well, I said know somebody, but to have played with her and to play against her. Um, she's an outstanding player, um, really good, reads the ball really well. Um, and I wish all the success in the world. Um, yeah, it would be amazing if any of us got picked um, to do anything like that. Um, I'd say a dream come true to, for, for most of us to be able to do something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I wish her every every success. And just on that, Zoe, uh, for yourself or any of your teammates, have you been tempted to either this year or considering for 2018 to put the hand up and see how you go in the draft? I think there'd be a few that would consider it. Um, I'm definitely considering it. Um, I'd love to, to, like I said before, I'd love to play over there. Um, so hopefully there'll be people watching us at the International Cup and a few people that maybe want to go over. Um, you know, there'll be a few scouts sort of watching and, and keeping an eye out for people. 
Um, unfortunately, up in Scotland, we don't get as many opportunities to play 18 aside. Um, but when we do, we we jump at the chance. And we thank Zoe very much for her time and wish her Scottish sirens all the very best in the Euro Cup this weekend in Lisbon, Portugal. Now, coming up next weekend, the 15th and 16th of October in Sarasota, Florida, it is the USAFL Nationals at the Premier Sports Complex. And I have got on the line Brian Barish, the media manager of the USAFL, to have a look at all, to preview what's going down in the two women's divisions. Now, Brian, the first thing we must touch on is, and we've seen in the news here in Australia. Uh, There's Hurricane Matthew at the moment uh, hitting the USA. It's hitting Florida, but if I'm correct, it is hitting the east coast of Florida. Sarasota is on the west coast, and it looks to be out of harm's way of this hurricane, and everything should be going ahead as normal uh, next weekend for the USAFL Nationals. That's correct. It's uh, uh, on the other side, on the west coast, where the Gulf of Mexico is, and uh, they're not supposed to get it as bad as they are in places like Orlando and in Cape Canaveral, which is on the east coast. Uh, They are supposed to get a a fair bit of rain with some tropical storms, force winds, probably about 70 kilometers an hour, Uh, but it shouldn't be a direct threat for nationals. The only concern will be uh, maybe affecting travel plans late next week, depending on how badly it hits the East Coast. But other than that, it shouldn't affect it directly. Now, before we get into the previews of uh, all the teams that will be uh, playing in the women's division of the uh, USAFL uh, Nationals, let's talk about the Premier Sports Complex in Florida. Now, if I'm correct, it's a super huge complex that normally gets used for, say, soccer, for example, and I believe there's enough fields for five full-size Aussie rules grounds. That's correct. That's how we're uh, looking for uh, what, what we're really looking for in, uh, in host uh, grounds. Uh, there are very few places in the country that can host a tournament that is physically our size. Uh, we just announced uh, uh, yesterday, as of this, uh, as of you and I talked here, that we'll be having next year's nationals at the uh, what is the Surf Cup ground in San Diego. It used to be the old San Diego Polo Grounds, and there is, uh, as, as you know, we have five fields. Of course, we have one women's field, and then fields for each of the four men's divisions. Uh, we're talking about adding a sixth field for a possible all-Australian division, and I don't know whether that would encompass men and women at this point. But yeah, it, our, our needs are that we need to have a massive ground for our massive ground, and uh, this is, from from all accounts, I haven't been down there yet, but from all accounts, this is the best ground that we've played on. Uh, in the tournament's 20-year history. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm sure this means are as well. And uh, a massive event over two days. Um, as we speak, we believe it'll be two divisions. Let's focus on at least the first division and, and the five main sides. Uh, one side that we previewed last week on girlsplayfooty.com was, of course, uh, the Denver Bulldogs. This is incredible. They're going for their seventh straight national titles victory. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. I don't think anybody would have would have thought maybe in 2000 or 2000, sorry, 2010, 2011 that we'd be at this point. I think by their third or fourth, I think there was this feeling that no one was going to stop them. Now, they aren't infallible. As we saw last year at National, they lost to Minnesota, uh, and they also lost, they became very close to losing to Sacramento. Uh, Sacramento had the winning points, really, they had the ball in, in Denver's goal square 
without two minutes to go in the game, they couldn't score. Denver comes straight down the field and NFX and kicks a goal to put it away. Uh, the one thing about Denver is that uh, what we definitely saw last year is they sort of switched their tactics. They've gone from a bash it forward type team, uh, really just getting the ball forward at all, co- at all costs and then beating you off the ball with their athleticism, to a team that's been more refined and, and plays more of a traditional type game. Um, and I think last year we saw them getting their sea legs. Uh, the one thing that, that I think that they're at a disadvantage is that I think a lot of the other teams have recruited players that are faster, but this is still one of the most athletic teams that I've seen, men or women, in the USAFL. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can hang on for one more year or not. And, uh, well, it's it's incredible how they won the sixth. As you said, they were so close to losing against Sacramento after losing against Minnesota. And in that last game, I remember seeing images of the New York Magpies that they were in the position of if Denver lost, they were going to take the title. Them standing along the boundary line watching the game, that's intimidation, isn't it? That your would-be um, conquerors are standing there watching you. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think that's one of the quirks of the of the format, which is again, it's a straight round robin. There is no grand final, and in the other side of that, and frankly, this is a this is a general opinion. I don't understand why they don't do this to to break ties in the AFL. Is is the first tiebreakers head to head? So what was interesting about last year was we entered a position going into the last round of games where the four teams that were playing in those last two games, all four of them had a shot at winning. In um, New York played Minnesota in the penultimate game, and with New York winning, that eliminated San Francisco, who was playing against Denver in the final game. Um, so, yeah, and I think there is very much a... Uh, us versus them attitude when it comes to everyone versus Denver. And I think it's obviously if you win six uh, championships in a row, you're going to have a target on your back. So uh, it's interesting to see that dynamic of it. And let's have a look at the other sides that are in that division. As we said, the uh, New York Magpies, they've had a lot of turnover of talent. Uh, they've virtually got a, a bunch of new players, and they've been going okay in some of the tournaments that they've played, uh, first of all, up in Canada and uh, more recently in the uh, East-West Showdown. Yeah, it's amazing, and I think even uh, Christina Licata, the coach, and uh, Captain Dre Casillas were even taking a little bit of back. They have the 13 brand-new players this year, and all of them have contributed. And uh, Natalie Wolf, I think, has been the best of the bunch. Uh, she is a... Uh, a come in as a rock and really taken that over, which has been good because it's one last thing for Kim Hemingway to do and she can focus on being a forward and and, and being being Kim really and kicking goals and, and really just affecting play. Uh, KJ Russell, who's a Queenslanders come in, she's been very good in the midfield and uh uh, Emily Eastlake is another one who uh, is brand new, just learned the sport, but really is acclimated and, and has done very well uh, as a center and as a as a rover. So it's been great to see. And of course, this is a team with a with a bunch of veterans. And, and I mentioned Casillas. Uh, we know about Taylor Davidson, who is a very capable defender, and uh, uh, some players that have been around only two, three years. Ashley Singer is a good defender, and uh, Gracie Coplo, who. Uh, not only is uh, not only is a good skills, but my goodness, I wouldn't want to get tackled by her because she's she's 
when, when she gets the ball, when she gets tackled by her, uh, you're not going anywhere. So um, I think New York is probably the best chance to beat Denver, but you really can't count out any of these other teams. Sacramento Suns are probably, I'd say, the fifth place out of the uh, the five sides in the division. They're still coming along, and we're not sure yet, and I don't think Katie Klatt's going to be making the trip over, and if she isn't, that's a key player for them gone. It is a key player, but you know what? They're still a good side, and uh, their defense, and I keep preaching this, even with or without Katie, is still pretty darn good. Um, Liz Danielson, who just started last season, uh, we had a Shiloh Curtis uh, at last year's Nationals, and on the broadcast that we did when they played uh, Denver, when Sacramento played Denver, uh, she was praising Liz Danielson as just being all over the ball. She won a couple of free kicks. And what's funny is, is I found out later that Liz had only started playing four months, uh, sorry, four weeks before Nationals last year. So she's still relatively new. This is her first full season, and she's doing really well. Um, Mackenzie Carr is another one who does fantastic defensively. Their weak point is forward, is, is scoring goals uh, and scoring points, really. Uh, at the Western Regional, they only scored 10 points over 120 minutes of footy, and in the first two games that they played, in the first two 40-minute games that they played, they only scored one point. Uh, so in order for them to be competitive and for, in order for them to be a chance, they have to figure out how to do it. They have good players in the midfield now. Rosemary Clough has uh, established herself as a rock who's going to get better and better. Carly Hartman has done really well as a ruck, uh, and they have veterans such as Elaine Schreiber and Victoria Schoenagel. Owen Wynn is very good, but they've got to establish themselves a little bit more inside their opponent's 50 uh, and, and come away with points, and that's going to be the only way that they're going to be have a chance at maybe cracking uh, Denver or some of these other teams. Uh, and you talked about the uh, Western Regional Tournament. Uh, the champions of that, of course, were the Minnesota Freeze. Yeah, and it played, you got to give credit also to the uh, Portland Steelheads, uh, sorry, the Portland Sockeyes uh, as well, the, the Sockeyes. Uh, they had combined to uh, to play in that tournament and, of course, won. And one of the things you have to give credit to, and I, one of the reasons that they won was, was the coach of Minnesota, Cat Hogg, who, who took two sets of, of women who had never played together and brought them together and beat three good teams in uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, and a combination of teams that included Vancouver, uh, who have a number of Canadian national team players on it. Um, Minnesota has some two really electrifying players, and Kathy Oha, who is uh, one of those players you have to keep track of in the forward line or else she's going to kill you, and uh, uh, Kathy Georgiatis is the other one who is a, uh, she's one of those players that I think is good enough that if she wanted to, could put her hand up for the AFL and uh, I think would receive good consideration. And Paige Kicker, who who won the game as a as a as a, uh, a forward uh, against Denver with that that uh, kick after the siren, uh, she played very well defensively and acclimated herself as a as a good center halfback. So um, I know they're uh, they're they're a little bit banged up for Minnesota, but uh, you know that when they play Denver, that that 
result from last year is going to be in the back of the Bulldogs' mind and of the Freezes' mind because they know they can beat them and that'll give them some confidence. Uh, the side to keep an eye on is the San Francisco Iron Maidens. Like a good Melbourne Cup runner, they've started to hit form at the right time. Just over a month ago, uh, they clean sweep the uh, East-West showdown against Sacramento and New York. And uh, just recently, they played another practice match against Sacramento, won that comfortably. So they've found form at the right time of the year. They are, and, and that's good because they too are recovering from, uh, I know uh, Courtney Sherman's recovering from an injury that she suffered at, at the regionals as is Jess Estrada, but those two players are healthy, and yeah, the, the Iron Maidens who uh, really have been in the thick of things each of the last three seasons, they of course were runners-up under the grand final format in uh, 2013 and 2014, finished third last year, uh, but what's great is, is that they're developing a lot of talent. Uh, Brett Rauer, who had uh, been the the has uh, been replaced at the run by uh, Jackie DeLue, who's come in and done a fantastic job. And so that's allowed Brower to play, really to play anywhere. She played mostly a fullback in the Western Regional. She played more of a forward role uh, at the uh, East West Showdown. And she's pretty versatile. And they've got a lot of speed in Sarah Maggione and uh, Keith Williams. I'm also impressed with uh, with Nicole McKenzie, uh, who can, who's a, a rover-type player, and with uh, Meg Leone, who's another tall, who can uh, platoon just about anywhere. She can step in and take rocks. She's a target before forward. So if uh, things roll San Francisco's way, and, and last year they, they lost right out of gate to New York, and I think that affected the rest of their tournament. But uh, if they can break out of the gate early, then I think they'll have a chance. Uh, just have a looking at the second grouping, as we're calling uh, Division 2. Uh, three teams in that. Now, this is obviously different to what I call the five and Division 1, which they're their own standalone clubs, so to speak. Uh, in the other grouping, it's a pair of combinations. So it's essentially uh, players from all over the countryside being put together to try and make up, am I correct, teams of 14 or 16? That's correct, yeah. We're going to try for 16 aside, depending on what the numbers are like. Uh, it'll come down, obviously, to how many players are available for each team. Uh, the uh, This is always, and, and uh, even you know before we started placing them in, in their own division or before the Women's Association started placing them in their own division uh, last year, this has always been difficult to try and match teams up, uh, make sure that the numbers are correct, and also to keep the competition balanced. And I give all sorts of credit to... Uh, Drea Casillas and, and uh, Kat Hogg and the West of the Women's Association for for really, this is a giant Tetris puzzle that they have to do and uh, they seem to do it well but the, the, the good thing about this is, is that, you know, even though they are these, these are teams that in, in a lot of cases they haven't played together uh, you look at some of the players that are that are here uh, Katrina Scherer from the Columbus Gilaroos has is, is been my favorite player to watch this year she is a, a team handball player for uh, Ohio State University and made the transition to footy she is uh, she's about six feet tall and her nickname is Sonic and that's not just because her hair is blue it's because she is incredibly fast and for a tall player to be as fast as she is I think is a dangerous weapon for Columbus team that two years ago was basically one player and, and that club has grown as well a uh, couple of good players up in Boston and Amanda King who is a uh, uh, a rock and uh, who is uh, can help out in other places and Alyssa Green who another is another player who's a relatively tall and very quick has a lot of rugby experience uh, out west in Portland 
course, uh, Heather Serpico, a very dangerous and a veteran player. Uh, they have another player up there, uh, um, Jess Blecker, who is uh, uh, really has come on, and she's still relatively young. I think she's only 22, so she has, uh, I think this is her third season of playing, and she has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good good uh, footing in front of her. And then um, a couple of new clubs who are uh, introducing players for the first time. Uh, this is Seattle's first trip with uh, with a women's team. Valerie Barbara Axel, who picked up the sport last year, moved from Arizona up to Seattle and has gotten involved with the Grizzlies club there. Uh, and not only that, she's a pretty handy defender, too. Um, and then we have... Uh, folks coming in from uh, Des Moines for the first time, from Tampa, and uh, I'm proud to say uh, here in Philadelphia we have our first two women players coming, uh, Aaron, uh, sorry, Amy Arundel and uh, Erica Sackey, uh, who are making their debut. So um, all told, uh, I believe there is uh, two, 10 clubs uh, represented in this in this, this year, and uh, yeah, it's 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 always fun to watch. Uh, the three-team format's going to be interesting, but uh, I think it'll be just as exciting as the Division One. And just before we let you go, not only the title's up for grabs, but also spots on the USA Freedom Team, which I believe is being announced uh, at the USAFL Nationals. Yeah, that's right. And, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the selectors of Lee Barnes and, and the, uh, the Freedom Selectors have pretty much made up their mind at this point. And, and you know, um, I know that talking to the the, ma- the male counterpart, which is uh, Tommy Ellis, the head coach of the USA Revolution, um, he said that he pretty much had maybe about half a dozen or eight or ten guys that on his side that he was looking for. I think... Uh, that could be the same case here. Uh, Lee Barnes probably has a, a number of women who uh, are on the bubble, if you will, and how they do this weekend is going to determine whether or not they make the team. So uh, that is always an exciting announcement. I know that there's going to be a lot of anticipation. I'm actually looking very forward to seeing uh, who makes it uh, on to uh, IC17 next year. So, uh, yeah, exciting times and uh, a, a really a, a very, very exciting week. And I thank Brian very much for his time. I look forward to catching up with him personally in Florida uh, next weekend and wish the USAFL all the very best in running the tournament at the premier sports complex, Lakewood Ranch. And, of course, you'll be able to see streaming details online, girlsplayfooty.com next weekend. We will have the links to the women's matches so you can watch them live. Of course, it's being played overnight uh, Australian time. But the great thing about those YouTube links, of course, is you can uh, watch them back later on and uh, at your leisure and catch the replay and see if you can spot maybe one or two players that should be considered, if not for the 2017 AFL Women's Competition, at least in 2018. I'm Peter Holden. It's been a pleasure having your company. I look forward to catching up with you possibly in a week or so with another girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Uh, hopefully uh, catching a bunch of interviews from being at the USAFL Nationals and uh, telling you all what it was like, plus dissecting uh, all the draft picks from the Wednesday, October 12th draft, where 160 women are going to get picked up by eight AFL clubs. That is going to be a fantastic day. Remember, all the news on girlsplayfooty.com. Keep an eye on the website. Until next time, it's been a pleasure having your company, and it's bye for now.